0: The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. Now, one of the things that's always interested me as someone writing about and commenting on technology is the effect that it has on us as human beings. I used to have relatively decent handwriting, I used a fountain pen and everything, but I can't actually remember the last time I used anything that posh. I can't remember things that I used to, I don't need to anymore, I used to know many of my friends' phone numbers off by heart, for example, but I now don't even know my own daughters, because she's just in my phone under her own name. Now, someone who's very interested in how generations adapt to deal with a changing world is my guest for this podcast, Dr. Linda Shaw who's joining me by audio conference. Now, Linda is a cognitive neuroscientist and business psychologist who works with senior leaders and teams worldwide. Linda, hello. Hello, Guy. Hello, welcome. and Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Perhaps you could uh, start by telling us a little bit about your specialisms and what a cognitive neuroscientist and business psychologist actually is.
1: Well, basically, I, I'm in the business of changing behaviour. Um, I help business leaders and managers in HR find the right staff and maintain them and retain them uh, i help cut pe- companies um, retain profitable customers so i work out what, what might be going wrong if they've got some sticky issues when it comes to the general communication and relationships with their staff down line up line across line and externally with the shareholders
0: Right. OK. And um, one of the things I know you're interested in is uh, the changing attitudes of generations, but also uh, how people adapt to the fact that uh, the world is changing around them so rapidly. Now, technology has uh, changed at a massive rate, certainly during my lifetime, probably at an unprecedented rate compared to the pace of it before. How are we changing? What effect is it happened, having on us?
1: Well, evolutionary psychology shows us that, indeed, it takes rather a long time for us to, be, to change a great deal to adapt to these new things that are going on around us. But that said, we don't seem to have that much time anymore because the innovations that are happening are fast and furious and massive. So um, really, truly, when it comes to artificial intelligence and and the human brain, what we, we we really need to do is not try to compete with artificial intelligence, but to actually be more human in handling them. And equally, one of the biggest issues, I think, when it comes to um, with any kind of computer work these days, the IT, is that we're, we're, we're multitasking. We speak quicker and quicker and quicker, and we're rattling things out out of our mouths, and we are, we're on social media, we are emailing, we are texting, we are doing all of these different things. And people think that they're terribly efficient because they can multitask so brilliantly, they're not being efficient because there's no such thing as multitasking what we do is we switch from one task to another and there's a trade-off and the trade-off is we either do things quite so accurately or we will take a little bit more time to do it and what happens with that is our anxiety levels get higher and higher and higher because we're not achieving what we think we should be achieving that day and we need to be putting strategies in place to just calm ourselves down a bit so that we can work with social media and we can work with all of these wonderful technologies, but on our terms, so that we work efficiently and effectively.
0: Okay, I'd like to roll back to a phrase you used just a few seconds ago. You said we need to be more human. Uh, I'd just like to get you to elaborate and uh, you know tell me what you actually mean by that.
1: Yeah, uh, well, at the moment, computers can't do the human thing, the things like um, empathy compassion, reading people um, in, in terms of when we're speaking to them face-to-face, in terms of their expression, feeling we get from them, all those visceral things that are going on in the body. That's at the moment what computers can't do. Now, I'm, I'm very mindful that uh, Matrix is probably just around the corner, I don't know. But what we can only talk about what we've got today. And today is that when it comes to computers, what if there's something in your work that a computer can do very well. There is absolutely no point in competing because the computer will do it better. So it's, it's better to actually develop and grow your emotional intelligence, your, the way that you have of people, your communication skills, all of those lovely, delicious human things that we do to make you more valuable in the workplace and indeed a happier person in your home life.
0: That's interesting. I agree with you in principle. And as, as somebody who's self-employed, that's relatively easy for you and I to do. On the other hand, if we worked in a corporation, if we worked in even a small business and we said to our chief executive or we said to our line manager or something, I'm now going to work differently from everybody else because uh, I think this is more efficient. I'm going to be more empathetic. I'm going to be more human. I'm not going to multitask. I'm not going to respond to your emails immediately. I'm going to time them every hour or something like that. Then we might find our short-term prospects well remain short-term and that our long-term prospects are best described as fired because we're not. uh, falling and uh, working the way other people want us to how can you actually apply these principles in terms of working in uh, somebody else's workplace
1: well in actual fact all these things need to come from the top and the ceo the md the business founder they need to be on board with this way of being more human and the only way if an employee is trying to do that by themselves then it's it's probably the best way is for them to show their bosses, what they mean, as opposed to tell. So if it would be, for instance, that they're getting better results because they're spending a little bit more time on the phone with a client or a customer and actually finding out how little John is doing at school or what, you know, remembering the names of their loved ones and families and getting the small talk done so that people feel that they're being listened to and heard. Because there's one thing that everybody on this planet wants to be, Guy, and that is to feel significant. So if you are dealing with people all the time then, and you help them feel significant, you will build a wonderful relationship with them and a much better business relationship. Now, if you are there on um, whatever job you're doing within a, within a corporation and you actually start to adopt these what appear to be small measures, but in actual fact not because they're making you slow down and actually concentrate on the person you're speaking with, then you get better results and you can take that to your boss and you could say, look, this is what I've been doing and this is the results I'm getting. Can I talk about this with you further? And then you engage them at their interest more.
0: Right. Uh, um, that's uh, an interesting one because uh, you mentioned it's got to come from the top down or indeed be put to somebody at the top and to have it to coming down. You go into businesses, you talk about this sort of thing and uh, you talk about the way people are perhaps not performing at their best because they think they're multitasking. How difficult a um, a concept is that for chief executives to grasp? And do, do you have any sort of anecdotal information about people who've changed their ways and seen results?
1: It's a difficult concept for them to grasp because they're probably doing it themselves. So um, and what they don't want is an employee coming to them and make them and then have they sound as if they're whining. Because of course the boss will just get across and agitated because they've got, he's got so much to do. Um, in actual fact, if the CEO or whomever is multitasking and trying to do too much and trying to be this almost computer themselves not realizing the trap that they've fallen in and they actually probably need some outside help just highlighting what's going on in the way they're responding to their own working day
0: Right. And uh, how easy is, is it for them to measure the results afterwards? Because uh, it's, it's almost like proving a negative, you know, if you carried on the way you were before, uh, you wouldn't have got these results. Well, you know, that's difficult to actually demonstrate, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. And that's always a massive key. Absolutely. Rightly so is to have a measurable result. But to be honest with you, it can be done. For instance, if I went to talk to a, a senior person, we would talk about the productivity, what they do in a day. And then if we put some of these things in place, which is demonstrating that they're thinking they're multitasking, but they're not, they're switching and they've got this trade-off, but I can then show them by doing things slightly differently, by doing one task at a time, in actual fact, their results are better. They are getting more done. They're getting the most important things done in the day, in the day instead of the things that are distracting them. So there are measurable ways of doing things. You can do it before and after.
0: Okay, now that's fine for uh, people who are sort of uh, perhaps our generation. There is an incoming generation and some of them are sort of in their 20s by now, so they're not that young, who have actually been brought up in the age of the smartphone, if you like. Uh, so to them, this uh, multitasking thing, I'm sorry, I've just used the multitasking phrase, this uh, uh, serial tasking, shall we say, the delusion of multitasking, okay. is the world in which they've actually been brought up. So. Is this a focused way of working, if, if I could call it that? Is that something they have to learn as a new skill? Is it something they fall back to easily? How does that work?
1: Well, that actually is quite an interesting thought because what you've got is these young people who are extremely good at, at spinning plates. They're gaming, they're on the phone, they're watching a TV program or, or probably on, their, on a laptop or tablet. They've got social media going, they're on Instagram. They're doing all of these things because that is how they've, how they've been brought up to be. Computers. They don't realize that there is a trade-off, and they're not doing things nearly as well as they could be doing them, um, they think they're being absolutely fantastic. So they need to be shown that that isn't the case, as, as I've just described with everybody else who's older than them. However, what the 20-something-year-olds have also got is a much better understanding of their own well-being. They, they seem to be able to put work in perspective. Whereas older generations, you know, um, especially the, the, the baby boomers, they, you know, they're used to doing our week and continue to do so if they can find the work. Um, but it's so, um, whereas the younger ones are going, well, actually, no, I'm going to the gym now. Or, well, no, I'm going to go and play rugby. Well, actually, no, I'm just off to do whatever. So they do seem to have work in a better perspective, even though they are certainly spinning far too many bits at one time.
0: Is that to do with uh, the generational gap or is that to do with uh, people having more responsibilities as they're older? It's one thing saying, I'm going to go to the gym instead of this, and uh, you'll just have to lump it. If you're living with your parents and so you're not really going to lose your home, and you don't have any kids, for example... Uh, whereas uh, 20 years later, saying I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to look after myself and um, I, I'm going to do it whether you like it or not to your employer, uh, when you do have a home that could be in jeopardy if you don't meet the repayments and you or rent and you do have a, uh, a family to look after, that becomes a much taller order, doesn't it? I'm just wondering whether this is really a generational thing or an experiential thing.
1: Well, there is always a generational thing. Every generation is different. However, generations do do go through similar stages as well. For instance, those 20-year-olds who will be 40 years old in 20 years' time, they will be in the sandwich generation, and in fact, they could be even in a worse sandwich generation than we are now, or better, depending on your way look at things. You could be having this 40-year-old person with parents who are getting older and children to cope with, so they're in the sandwich generation, but they also may have grandparents. Um, in their thought. so you see because we are on average living a lot longer than we ever have in history, so you have got these these different ways of looking at it. So not you you've got the the, the original psych, the psychological um, framework if you like for being a twenty something in, 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 in the twenty first century in the 2018. but in um, twenty years time in twenty thirty eight they'll be in their forties. They will still be that person that they were when they were teenagers and a little bit older, but they would have been layered with the crud of life. So they would have also slipped in the, the psychological profile of, for instance, being the sandwich generation at that point. So it's, it, it's never clear. It's never black and white.
0: Okay. Now, uh, we've mentioned uh, young people a lot. Now, last time uh, you and I spoke about this sort of subject, I was writing an article for Medium. And uh, we were talking about people augmenting themselves through technology. We had uh, the idea that people were inserting chips into themselves. And we also spoke about parents monitoring their children by always knowing where their phone was because the technology is out there. Why wouldn't you want to know where your uh, child is, particularly if they're relatively young or uh, they're they're out late? I'm just wondering uh, if you could uh, run through some of the points you had there. Uh, when you were you were slightly concerned that people were depending on machines and the parents were exerting too much control because of these uh, yeah, this machines and these monitoring they could do.
1: Yeah, I, that is a real dilemma. As a parent, how hard is it? You're always wanting to protect your children. You know, that, that umbilical cord is never truly severed, and you really do, and that, that's metaphorically included for the dads. <laughs> but you, yes. all, you, you, you want to look after your children, you want to cocoon them, but, oh, goodness me. We mustn't conclude them too much. They've got to learn. They've got to know that they are autonomous in their decisions and they've got to take responsibility for their actions. If they always think they're going to be protected, then they they will become a bit of a loose cannon and a bit like a rebel without a cause. Um, So, in order for a human being to mature and to be a sensible member of society, they do need freedom to be able to make mistakes, so that they um, they are they can contrib- contribute well.
0: So we've got uh, this uh, technology that enables parents to uh, monitor their children's whereabouts very carefully. Indeed, we have uh, some employers, particularly in the U.S. and in certain places in Europe putting chips into their employees um, because they can, more or less, and the employees like it because they can. Uh, it uh, sounds a little bit like a gimmick or possibly a bit big brotherish, but people are doing it nonetheless. Does this mean that we're actually pulling uh, – it's quite a genera- generation, generalization – but does this mean we're actually pulling in the direction of more dependency and more integration with machines, when actually your view is that we will benefit more if we become more human and use the machines for what they are?
1: We ha- – In order to be more human, we'd be very silly if we turned our back on the benefits of technology because we can't. Um, And if we do try, for instance, if somebody has got heart disease and they refuse a pacemaker, then that that will probably shorten their life. And that is basically what these chips are. We've had chips in the body for many years so and in various things. So in actual fact, we need to work with technology but for it not to take us over, that we still have modicum again be in control you know uh, get a grip be in control get a grip i'm always saying it so we can't have any a dependency on technology people naturally have i mean i can't live now without my phone i I go into almost a panic if i leave the house without my telephone but so we do get a, a certain dependency going on here but we do as i say we do need to monitor out it to make sure that it's for our benefit and the benefit of society
0: yeah A point I've often uh, thought about is you see reports often saying that people touch their phone X amount of time and we uh, spend all our time glued to our smart screen. I mean, the thing is, yesterday when I was using my phone in the evening, I wasn't using it as a phone in my mind. I was doing a, a, a frowning at the Times crossword. Earlier, I was using it to listen to some music, and earlier than that, I was listening, uh, using it to read a book. Uh, I'm just wondering whether it, it just becomes a portal, and it's uh, it's easy to start fostering panic in the press about how we're all using the one device to access all this stuff. To me, that means I'm free to access all this stuff through the one device.
1: Everything you did yesterday with your phone was because you voluntarily did it you wanted to do it it didn't cause you, cause you any anxiety or stress and it was a tool for you to read a tool for you to listen to music and a tool for you to do crosswords and so on so i don't think it, it, there is any point us fighting that because it's it is better that we use our energies to make sure that we are not texting whilst driving you know monitor our behavior that way i saw recently a woman on a dual carriageway, I was one side of the dual carriageway in my car driving in a heavy traffic jam. She was on the other side on the pavement, pushing up an empty push chair, an empty buggy. And behind, and she was on her phone texting. And behind her, it got to have been at least 50 yards was the toddler walking along and then an incredibly busy carriageway. I mean, get a grip, you know? Um, that's ridiculous, that is silly. Um, And we need to monitor our own behavior when it comes to these things. And to be honest, we do so much that we're not really consciously aware of what we're doing. That's Although,
0: to be fair, in the days before mobile phones uh, or before widespread mobile phones, I, I certainly, when I was driving around, I'd see people, uh, often y- uh, young parents, putting their children into the road in the buggy before actually crossing. You know, they'd lean out to look both ways with their child already in the road. And I think, well, what's the child supposed to do? Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure that clumsiness and uh, unawareness is unique to the mobile phone generation.
1: Absolutely. It's just another tool. Um, another tool to not me really thinking I mean I've seen the plenty of people push the buggy out in the road before but they step out um, so yeah I quite agree with you but nevertheless it, it, it they, these tools um, we need just be very self-aware of what we're doing um, and and pull ourselves up now and again maybe even go grid free wouldn't that be interesting go-
0: uh, n- now you're scaring me so I'm gonna move on <laughs> Uh, I'm going. But uh, Linda, uh, uh, I I believe you're doing some very interesting courses and things at the moment. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about that and uh, also tell uh, any listeners uh, how they can find out more about you and perhaps get in touch if they'd like to take you up on some of these things?
1: Okay. Um, Well, one of the things that I love to do is um, help people understand a little bit of neuroscience that helps them in their work. So I've got a neuroscience professional development program I run. There's only 10 people on it at any one time. It's a six month course. And I send them lectures once a month and we get together on a Zoom call and thrash out how to use that neuroscience information for their work and their businesses. And I've also got that, that's what's going to be launched in January, is the same thing, but as a membership club. So people get this little bits of information on a monthly basis that's really relevant to what they need, which is all a bit exciting, really. So 2019 is going to be a great year.
0: Excellent. And um, the one thing you've forgotten is to tell us your website.
1: Oh, yeah. Some, that's mere, A small point <laughs> i'm www.drlindashore.com that's d-r-l-y-n-d-a-s-h-a-w
0: that's linda with a y just in case anybody's wondering linda shaw thank you very much indeed for joining me
1: thank you guy
0: and many thanks to all of you for listening that was the near futurist podcast with me guy clapperton Do have a look at my website, too, at nearfuturist.net, where you'll find more episodes and information on what I'm about. You'll also find my speaker show. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or moderator of your technology event, do have a look and then get in touch with my agent, Zipporah Wright, that's Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H, at jillybushel.com. All the details are, of course, on my site.